And so we, we tried again and, and we got it on the third time. And, and when we got it, like we knew it and, and our guests knew it. And, and so I guess like just the, the thing that I took away from is like, know what you want and, and know what you need and, and stick with it, like whatever that is, because every trail system is unique and needs to be unique. Welcome to Trail Effect. I'm your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 69 features Benji Neff, of Giants Ridge Resort and Bike Park located in Bibwabek, Minnesota. Benji discusses the process of building out the bike park at Giants Ridge Resort and how the region known as the Iron Range, aka Ride the Range, in northern Minnesota has grown to become a really great mountain bike destination. I think many will be surprised when they find out just how many miles of purpose-built mountain bike trail can be found in northern Minnesota. There will be even more Minnesota-based episodes coming this summer on the Trail Effect podcast as well. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Truck Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full enough components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the trail effect with Benji Neff and Giants Ridge Resort. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Benji Neff. Benji represents Giants Ridge Resort up in northern Minnesota, part of the Iron Range in Minnesota, and that's been a huge hotspot for mountain bike trails and mountain bike trail building in recent years. And so we're going to get the backstory on Giants Ridge Resort and their lift access, and they also have XC trails as well. So we're going to get the whole story and what what's going on with Benji and Giants Ridge. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for having me today, Josh. Um, it's uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was pretty excited. This is kind of like, we've been around for a while, but this seems like one of the like more notable uh, things that we're being recognized for. So we've all been pretty excited at the resort about this. Well, you've had some pretty notable builders at your resort as well. So that, that, also, that always helps. Yes. You know, but let's get into your backstory and kind of like learn what brought you into your role at Giants Ridge. Yeah, uh, I mean, without getting too far into it, you know, I mean, I, I grew up uh, skiing and mountain biking at Giants Ridge as a kid. Back in those days, it was just mountain biking on the XC ski trails um, with my dad and, and his friends. And, uh, you know, as mountain biking was in the 90s, you know. So, yeah, I grew up as a skier, grew up as a mountain biker, you know, got... Uh, Went off to college, didn't not go for recreation. I went to be a math teacher and uh, did my student teaching, got done with student teaching. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to make this a career. This <laughs> I might not be cut out for this. And uh, went out west and worked at a ski resort uh, there for a couple of years. And, um, and then in the summers, I, I ran a landscaping company that I started when I was in high school. 
And then when I moved back, I uh, um, got a job at the Ridge in the winters and kept doing landscaping for a while. And then uh, back in 2017, uh, got on year round in my role as, uh, as director of mountain sports. So that's, that's the quick version. That's the quick version. Well, sounds like you already had a lot of digging experience in your, in your backstory and landscaping is, you know, one of those things that kind of parlays into trail building for some people. Yeah, it, it, uh, it certainly helped me, you know, both with what we've done here at the Ridge and then also, um, before I worked here full time, uh, every once in a while, I'm a member of our local bike club, of course. And, uh, there's some, there's some trails that I brought my excavator out for, we rented a smaller one. And so I've done a little bit of trail building, but, uh, so yeah, landscaping certainly lends itself well to, to, to trail building. So what does your role like completely include? Cause I'm assuming if you're on year round, you also have some winter stuff and we can talk about that as well. Cause Giants Ridge is a four season resort. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm in charge of the bike park in the summer. Um, you know, all of our summer recreation, so climbing wall, you know, hiking, disc golf, everything except our golf courses themselves. I, I fortunately don't have to do anything with those. And then in the winter, uh, and year round I oversee all of our events, uh, you know, so races and, you know, any, any outdoor type events. And then, uh, yeah, so skiing, uh, oversee, uh, you know, a few different departments, ticketing, retail, rental, you know, our, our director of mountain operations jokes that my title should just be the director of things and stuff. Cause it's, it's kind of a, a random smattering. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate as a former employee of Mount Lacrosse here in Lacrosse. And so I can definitely relate on the winter side of things at least. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know, small, small ski resorts. Everybody does a little bit of everything. Yeah. I actually skied at Lacrosse uh, many times in college. So for, for ski races. When was that era? Uh, that would have been, uh, like 20, 2009 to 2013. Yeah. So we were a few years apart. Okay. Sure. My, my college <laughs> racing career was 1997 to 2000. Okay. Well, it was probably still Mike and Robin though. I think it's been Mike and Robin since before the dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> and it'll be Mike and Robin when humans are extinct and they're the only ones left running college ski racing. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and Mike will still have his same hat on. Yes, and the yellow jacket. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and trailer and same trailer load of stuff, maybe a different vehicle. Right. Yep. So yep. anyhow. Well, let's get into why uh why Giants Ridge like rolled into the whole gravity scene, aside from the fact that you already had chairlifts there. Yeah, well, you know, John Philander had the job before me. He was uh, the director of mountain sports before me. And, you know, he's always been an avid mountain biker. And, you know, in the late 2000s, you know, places like Duluth and Cuyuna were starting to gain a name for themselves. Um, you know, Spirit got into into the game about that time as well. And John had always been pushing for the Ridge to get into mountain biking more. And it kind of started to take traction as, uh, as some other places, um, started to have success with it. So, you know, the idea kind of came about. And then when I came on, we had just kind of gotten uh, a little bit of funding for some trails and that's, and that's really where I came in and we kind of started building it from there. So, you know, we weren't, we weren't the pioneers in our area, but, 
you know, once we decided to get into it, we could see how much it could benefit not only our resort, but our region. And then we kind of got into it in a big way. So let's talk about Giants Ridge as an area. Like what's, you know, what do you guys have for elevation there? I know there's, there's seems to be a misconception out there that higher is better. But one of the themes that I keep running into with this podcast and interviewing people from bike parks is that you don't need a high place to, to get a really good quality experience. Yeah, so we've got 419 feet of vertical, although if you look on our website, it says 500 because what would a Midwest ski area be if it didn't lie about its vertical? (laughs) So, but, you know, so we don't have a ton, but we have a decent amount for the Midwest and and kind of like you alluded to, it's plenty for for lift serve mountain biking. We've got trails that are about a mile long. Um, Some are a little bit shorter, but, you know, it a normal lap is about 15 minutes and like that's pretty good it's plenty for what we need yeah yeah i know some of the stuff that people run into like especially out west is with newer riders they get in they get in over their head because they can't handle going down 2000 vertical feet and if the resort doesn't have pull-offs you know and that provides an experience that isn't ideal yeah exactly um the first time i went to angel fire I took one run and I was like, oh my gosh, my legs might be shot. <laughs> so yeah, it, you know, and, and, that, and that's really great for beginners, but our advanced riders don't mind uh, the shorter trails either. We've got a high speed lift. It doesn't take that awful long to get to the top of the hill. Um, so, you know, in a lot of ways, our smaller mountain probably suits mountain biking better than it even does skiing. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that's worked well. And then as far as our topography, uh, we have a good mix of, of geography and terrain to work with. So like you go further out from our Alpine area and go to like the outskirts and the gradient is a little bit better for green and blue trails. And then you get more towards the middle and that's where our blacks end up, you know, on that steeper Alpine terrain. Um, and we've got pretty decent soil, although there's way too many rocks mixed in. So if you talk to any of the trail builders, they'll tell you that Giants Ridge is one of the hardest places they've ever built because when the glaciers came through, they took all the dirt off the top of the hill and left every single nugget. And uh, it, it really dictated how our trails were built. And you probably have more granite type rock up there? Yeah. Yep. All, all, of, our, all of our rock is granite. And at the top of the hill, there's really only in some spots inches of dirt and other spots, you know, maybe a couple feet. And then when you get lower down, you get more so into, you know, like gravel and and sand with a little bit of clay mixed in, like just enough to hold things together. So it's actually pretty good soil to work with, but you have to work to get to the soil and you no matter where you work, you're going to move boulders to get to the soil and move boulders just to get them out of your way. Well, before we go really deep on the trail building side of things, let's talk about Giants Ridge, generally speaking, and what other amenities you guys have there, such as condos. I think you probably have a restaurant, stuff like that. And then you get into skills and stuff and camps. Yeah. So as far as amenities go, like, like you mentioned, we're a, we're a year round ski golf and now mountain bike resort. Um, we've got on-site lodging both in a hotel style accommodation and in more of like a condo villa 
uh, setup. We've got a few different dining options. In the chalet right by uh, the base of the lift is the burnt onion. So, you know, you can go and ride and go and have a beer afterwards and, you know, have some really good lunch. We're also right next to two lakes. So what would northern Minnesota be without, uh, without lakes and pine trees? So we've kind of got everything I feel like you would hope for as far as, uh, you know, a summer destination goes. And you guys do bike rental there? Yep. So then, yeah, when you get to more of the bike specific amenities, um, we do have a rental shop. That's been a little bit tougher the last few years with availability of bikes, but we've got a fleet of about about 20 enduro bikes and five downhill uh, specific bikes. And then, you know, of course, we rent helmets and uh, and our gift shop carries some Fox products. And we've been selling more and more of that as we've gotten busier. And then uh, our Mountain Sports Academy uh, teaches camps, mainly geared towards kids and women currently. But as we continue to grow our base of instructors, uh, we'll hopefully continue to branch out those offerings. Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit, you know, especially on the, the kids side of things. What, you know, I was looking at your website and you have different skill levels that you offer within your camps. Let's kind of get into what that means from the beginner side. Like, and what would, what would maybe someone expect if they're bringing, say, I got an eight-year-old or nine-year-old daughter that maybe would want to come to one of those camps? Yes, our beginner camps, uh, you know, we, we expect you to know how to ride a bike, but we really start from there and work up. You know, we teach braking, we teach cornering, you know, those really basic skills. We do some really basic balance stuff. And, you know, that beginner camp, that's pretty much what it is. It's those fundamentals. And, you know, we'll only be on green cross-country trail for those. We don't even touch gravity for those, those beginners because, honestly, half the time, braking might take a couple hours for the kids to really even get good enough to go onto the trail because, you know, so many kids have zero mountain biking experience and you're not going onto those trails until those kids can safely stop their bike. <laughs> it's, it's, not, uh, it's not worth it for the instructors or the kids to, to try and rush it. So yeah, our, our uh, introductory level camps are really truly just on fundamentals. Uh, you get more into our intermediate camps and we, then we do start to introduce a little bit of the gravity, but again, that's only like green gravity trails. And that's really only at the end of the four day camps. So again, really trying to build up those skills before the kids tackle their, those more challenging and higher speed and higher consequence trails. Yeah, for sure. And do you see kids in the same season coming out of that beginner level camp and then entering into the intermediate level camp? Is that what you prefer? Yeah, yeah, it, that's the best way to do it. And we've we have seen a lot of that. And then we've even seen some kids repeat the intermediate level camp because they had so much fun and because they're still, you know, even though it's the same skills that they might have seen two weeks ago, they're still they still have the opportunity to improve on them. So, you know, and we don't have an advanced level yet. Um, I'm sure many of those kids would have would take them, too, if they could. Um, we just don't. The, the kids grow faster than our instructor base does. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was, you know, I had this, a similar conversation with Mark Hayes, who is the owner operator of Highland Bike Park out in New Hampshire. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, for his business model, the camps are pretty critical, you know, in, in terms of 
keeping that revenue coming in. Do you guys kind of see the same thing? Yeah. And so like when we first started getting into this, I went out to, um, uh, I forget which was the first bike park summit I went to. I think it might've been at, uh, at North star in California, but Mark is, you know, pretty well known in the industry. And, you know, he kind of says you need a lesson program and you need a green trail and you need rentals. And like, that's what makes a successful bike park. And I really took that to heart. And, and that's, as we've built this out over the last five or so years, that's really what we've tried to focus on, you know, is, is having those things because it's interesting who shows up to a lift serve bike park. Yes. It's those hardcore downhill riders that have all the safety gear they need and know what they're getting into, but it's also the people who think this is the best way to start trying mountain biking for the first time. And so if you, aren't prepared for that your patrol better be ready because it it can get bad quick if you have people unprepared going on gravity trails and and on trails that aren't built for that well and more importantly you want those people coming back you know and they're going to come back with a great if they have a great experience you know and yep exactly exactly let's get into as you guys went from we're going to bring mountain biking to okay we got some money. We're going to hire some contractors and we're going to build this sucker out. Like how did that whole process kind of go, you know, from beginning to end to where you are today? Cause I know you've had a couple different contractors up there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's been a bit of an evolving saga. Um, so we're owned by the state of Minnesota. Really? I did not and know so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're owned by a division of the state of Minnesota called uh, the department of iron range resources. And uh, part of uh, the IRRR, as it's kind of called in slang, part of their mission is to take uh, f- tax dollars, funds generated by uh, iron mining, and use it to redevelop uh, our local economy. And so one of the things they do is they, they own Giants Ridge. And so when we first started this, we knew that we were going to have to go through the state bid process to hire a trail builder. Which, of course, you know, places like Cuyuna and, you know, it's been done all over the country, but the state's bid process really isn't set up to bid out mountain bike trails. It's set up to build out roads and buildings. And so that first go around, we had to make bid specs for this. And, you know, like the, the, the people within IRRR, um, you know, contacted our local engineering firms because that's usually who you go to for bid specs. And they're like, we don't know how to do bid specs for mountain bike trails. And so we called uh, the people at Cuyuna and we're like, well, how have you done it? And they're like, yeah, we kind of had to come up with them ourselves. Like, here's what we did. And so then they came to me and they're like, we have to put this bid document together. And I'm like, I've never made a bid document. Like, (laughs) how do I do this? And they're like, I don't know, figure it out. And so, you know, I spent like a month putting together those bid documents just looking at everything that's been done from every municipality that's bit them out through throughout the state and taking little bits and pieces and eventually got a i don't think it was uh beautiful and i don't think uh, any engineering firms are looking to hire me but uh it was a, it was a working document that would would serve our needs and so we bid that out and that was just for our first two trails and uh rock solid won that bid and at the time we kind of thought like 
okay, we'll do these two trails. We'll, this will be a good test run, kind of see, see how this goes. Who knows where this could go? And so we were in that process and we had awarded the contract. And before we had even started building, my boss at the time came to me and she's like, well, just out of curiosity, what would, what would a, our full build out look like here? Just, just for theory. And I'm like, okay. And so I did some really basic math and like, okay, you know, 10 gravity trails would be a lot for the Midwest. And, you know, they cost give or take 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a mile, you know? So through some quick math at it, and I'm like, well, I'm more of a cross country rider myself. I want some cross country here. 25 miles of cross country trail is like the gold standard. Everybody says you have to have 25 because if you have 24, then it doesn't count. So we'll throw 25 miles of trail on there. And I came up with $2.5 million. You know, like this is like, like a one page, almost back of a napkin sort of thing that, that I figured out and I gave it to her and she's like, okay, great. You know, and nothing happened for a little while, but in the meantime, we had, um, so I was, I'm trying to remember if I was president of the bike club yet or somewhere in there, I became president of the bike club and the bike club had been working for like 10 years about developing this place called Redhead. And it's like 20 minutes to the west of Giants Ridge. And at the same time, about 20 minutes to the west of that, the people in Grand Rapids and Cohasset had been working on a project called Tioga. And so all three of these mountain bike projects are kind of happening independently, sort of, but kind of together all at the same time. And somebody came up with the idea of why don't we work together on this? And what ended up happening is all three of those trail projects collaborated and then went after funding together and we got the funding and it ended up being almost six million dollars of funding, uh, two and a half million of which coming to Giants Ridge. And like, again, that was that funding came from that one page document I put together and you know, so ever since then, that's what's been going on on the range. And as that project started to take hold, you know, we brought some some knowledgeable people in and Jeff Schoenbauer, who was heavily involved in Cuyuna, started to get involved at that point. And he came up with the idea of we know it's tough to bid out trail building. So and we know that this is a really ambitious project to do all three of these at the same time, you know, there's no one company out there that can handle that. We're going to need every trail builder and then some, you know, that's in the Midwest. And so his idea was, what if we work out a daily rate sort of system for these trail builders and we get a pool of them and then we hire some project managers that can pick and choose which trail builder is best suited for which project at each time and move them around from site to site. And, and that's ultimately what ended up happening. And so we had, I'm trying to remember how many total on the whole project, but it, you know, 10 or a dozen different trail building companies working between the three projects. Um, and that really was a unique way to do it. And there's no way that all three of these projects could have gotten done in that same amount of time. Because Red Hat and Tioga are no, 
small trail systems either. It was also cool because I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think it was with uh, Nick Mullally, and he said you could blindfold me and put me down in the middle of the woods, and I could tell you what trail builder built these trails, which is kind of funny. It actually kind of resonated with me because after all of this, now I could tell you not only what trail building company, but which foreman uh, built each of the trails, especially rock solid because we've worked with them the most. But um, even when I was down in Bentonville last year, I'm like, you know, I think Blue built this trail. <laughs> but so anyways, that, that's what happened. We, we had all these different trail builders working across the range and we would pick and choose which ones were best suited for which trail we were working on at that time. And it, I don't think it's ever really truly been done that way before. Uh, it was super unique and the results were really very good. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things I talk about quite a bit on this show is getting different builders in at different, at the same place. So you can get that diversity of trail experiences, you know, and cause every trail builder or trail building company for the most part, maybe aside from rock solid, they have their own unique style. You know, the one nice thing about rock solid, or there's a lot of nice things about rock solid, but the one thing that I think personally sets them apart for me is that they have enough different foremen that if you want a gravity trail build, then you're going to send Niels or someone else. If you want some cross country stuff, you're maybe going to send Kyle, one of the Kyles, one of the multiple yep. Kyles. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? And yep. so that's, you know, so that's definitely an advantage that rock solid has, but again, you know, to get those different builders in at the same, in the same region is super important. And that's incredible. That you guys kind of landed on that concept and were able to execute it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think part of the cool thing about that too, was a lot of these guys were camping in the same place each night. So you've got crews from Pathfinder looking at what rock solid did that day. And you've got rock solid looking at Pathfinder and, you know, all these other guys. And it's all a little bit of a competition, right? So they're like, oh man, that looked really good. We need to do this. Or, and, and again, I think that kind of helped elevate that, that level. And, you know, it kind of kept everybody on their toes too. You know, there was no, no complacency. Everybody felt the need to deliver and deliver a little bit higher than the person next to them. Yeah. And I know. You know, for where I live here in Lacrosse, Niels and his crew would leave Lacrosse in 2018 and left Lacrosse in 2019 and went up to where you guys are to build. Yep, yep, yeah. Niels built uh, Niels built one of uh, well, a, a couple different of our trails, but you know, the the one that he really truly did start to finish is Goliath. And uh, you know, you know Niels pretty well, but it was like, okay, Niels, this is going to be a, a black diamond trail, and he's like, yeah, okay, got it. And we get done and we're like, okay, Niels, we're going to call this a double black. <laughs> He's like, no, this is totally a black. It's like, yeah, for you, but for everybody else, this is a double black. <laughs> There's probably some giggling in there too. There was definitely some giggling in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we were super fortunate. You know, not only did we get Niels, but uh, Elias uh, did a lot of our, our gravity trails too. But you know, they, they each have their own different way of looking at it. Uh, and what was helpful for, with Niels is he was a snowcat operator. So when we talked to him, we'd be like, we have to make snow through here when you're done. So like, keep that in mind as you're building. And like, he understood what that meant and what, what could and couldn't be done. But yeah, that's, 
Niels is certainly a character. Yeah. One of the things that really I found unique is in 2020, you know, primetime COVID, Spirit Mountain didn't open. Yeah. And Giants Ridge did. So that was, um, that was a very interesting time. Um, we had to close the ski hill early, like pretty much every other ski hill in the country. And we laid everyone off. I mean, there were like six of us left on the payroll, like working from home. And like at, when it first started, we didn't even know what we were working towards. But we're like, well, we just got a plan that this is just going to be a couple week thing because like it's hard to remember that. But we all thought this was going to be a couple week thing and a uh, couple week thing. And let's get summer operations going. And, you know, so that's what we did. We we worked on it. And uh, yeah, somewhere in that time, Spirit announced that they weren't going to be open. And we're like, wow, man, are we making the wrong decision? Like, should we not try and open? Like, OK. And 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 then also, if Spirit doesn't open, we're going to be busy. And like, you know, as things started to to develop, you know, we started to see that that, you know, people wanted a way to get outside and do things. And so we did open and, um, you know, we had to come up with all sorts of, you know, what seemed at the time and now looking back also seemed like goofy scenarios so we could be open. And we had some help from the National Skiers Association. And, you know, there were some calls with people like Mark from Highland and, you know, uh, Trestle and, you know, all those folks got on calls and we were talking about different ways that what we could do to be open. And I think our first iteration of that was actually we put up a ring doorbell outside the chalet. And so you were supposed to, like, talk to our ticketing staff through the ring doorbell to get your ticket. And like we tried it for a weekend and it worked okay. And you know, it, it didn't pan out, but like, you know, all these goofy different ideas just so we could be open. But yeah, that, that ended up being just a huge, huge summer for us. Um, and, you know, unfortunately for spirit, I mean, it wasn't just COVID spirit had some other things going on too, but it really worked to our advantage because it forced people to come see what we had already. Cause we were, we were a little bit more developed at that point, maybe about halfways. And uh, so it forced a lot of people to come check us out. And then the word started to spread like wildfire. And, you know, we went from like 2018 was the first year we opened and like a good day in 2018 was like 30 riders. And then 2020, we had like 200 riders. So it was like from zero to 60. And we were like, wow, we've got a lift line and like, and patrol was getting busier and it was just like, okay, this is, we've hit the big time now. <laughs> yeah. And you guys, I mean, with you being as far North as you are, it probably helped to kind of see what was going on a couple hours South of you in terms of people getting outside, because it became pretty clear by, you know, middle of April, early May, that trailhead parking lots are overflowing and people yep. that you'd never would expect to see on a mountain bike found a mountain bike and were out riding. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we had a little bit of an inkling, you know, going into it, you know, in May and, you know, hearing what was going on in the cities and lacrosse and, you know, elsewhere. And we're like, okay, yeah, we, we better be ready. This is, this is going to be different than the years past. So, and fortunately, you know, I think testament to our whole team here is that, that we did execute on that really well. And I think that really helped us build our following that year, because if we had done a poor job, 
nobody would have come back, you know, because even though we've got good trails and awesome trails, really, you know, if, if you can't, you know, if, if, if the ticketing system doesn't work, if rental doesn't work, you know, people still aren't, aren't going to come back. So. Well, what do you guys have for other staff as far as like maintenance staff? And you've talked about ski, uh, ski patrol, bike patrol more than yep. once now, you know, what is your, what does the rest of your operations look like from a staff perspective? Well, so one of the things we talked about way back when, when we, we built our first two trails, uh, leapfrog and sector 12 is we knew right away that, that we had to have on staff maintenance. You know, the range is not a super densely populated area. And then there's even less mountain bikers in that population, or at least at the time there were, we're, we're growing now, but we, we knew that it wasn't going to be sustainable in any way, shape or form to expect volunteers to do the maintenance. And that was kind of a lesson we learned from Spirit because when Spirit first started, uh, the idea was that COGS was going to take care of these trails for them. And while COGS has, it, it's just you can't expect volunteers to take care of a trail that take the kind of abuse that a lift serve bike park puts in. So, so we knew that we were going to need, you know, a crew of our own uh, to do that maintenance. And so we started with one or two guys and, and now we're at four full-time guys. Uh, they, they work in the dirt all summer long. And then in the, the winter, they actually end up being our terrain park crew. And it, it, it works pretty well because it's a lot of the same personalities and a lot of the same skill sets, to be honest, too. You know, shaping a jump in snow is not that much different than shaping a jump in the dirt. So, so that's been kind of a good, a good synergy that we've, we've realized. So, um, you know, and we've started to kind of collect equipment to go along with that crew as we've gone along. We bought a ditch witch uh, a couple of years ago and looking at uh, adding a mini excavator now finally to hopefully this summer. And then, yeah, uh, patrol, obviously, you know, it's, it's an expectation as a resort that, uh, that you provide patrol. And again, we started with like two patrollers and now we're to the point where, you know, on a busy Saturday, we shoot to have four to six patrollers on just, just so we feel comfortable should the need arise. And then, of course, you know, ticketing staff, we usually run a couple ticketing staff and a few people in rental. And then, you know, a lot of people don't think about the behind the scene things. We need a lift mechanic on duty to to help run the chairlift and usually a couple other people, uh, myself or a few of our other managers, just to kind of help keep the keep the wheels turning every day. So it ends up being, you know, a, a crew of probably. 10 to 15 all summer long that it takes to run the bike park, which in the Midwest, especially, you know, the, the whole pay to play concept is a little bit new. And so at first when people are like, well, wait a minute, we have to pay what to go ride your trails. Cause we even charge for our cross country trails as well. And it's like, yeah, we don't have free labor that does anything here. Everything is done, you know, with paid employees and, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't cheap. So, you know, it, it, there, there's a little bit of resistance, but I think also once people see what we're trying to do and have ridden our trails and kind of start to understand it, they're like, okay, yeah, I'm happy to pay for this experience. I'm happy to pay for well-maintained trails and, and happy to pay for a lift. And 
so you know it it takes a little bit for people to catch on but you know once once they see what they're getting for that money uh they they usually appreciate and understand it yeah and that's something that you know i've been preaching as part of the show but also just in 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 life that volunteer the volunteer model is is great and i don't ever want to discount volunteers i've been a, i've been a volunteer for a really long time but the math behind it just doesn't add up you know when volunteers have full-time yep. jobs and families and other commitments and the reality is we didn't all get into mountain biking because we wanted to build trails we got into right. trail work because we enjoy mountain biking yep exactly you know and and that's you know that's a that's something that I think a lot of these volunteer groups are starting to realize, or as they grow, they realize, you know, Cogs and Duluth figured that one out probably almost half a dozen years ago now that, yeah, we need to have our own crew and, and yeah, we've got a big volunteer base that can do some of this, but, but we have to have our own crew that's building and doing some of that bigger maintenance. So yeah, you know, volunteers have their place and they're still essential to the ecosystem of mountain biking, but they can't do everything. Yeah, for sure. And it does help to engage them from an ownership perspective and to understand why they would, why they would pay for something, you know, and, and you brought up the Nico Mullally interview and it's something that resonated with me from when I interviewed him. And a question that I asked him was why would somebody come pay to ride Canuga when they have like, you're like in Pisgah national forest, essentially one of the, you know, most amazing places to mountain bike in the Southeast. And he truthfully said, he said, I kind of thought the same thing, but yep. they offer something that you can't get in Pisgah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I think our ridership really started to realize that like last year and, and the year before when we saw our visitation really start to, you know, double or triple and these favorite trails, because again, even these last couple of years, we weren't fully built out. So all that traffic was centralized on, you know, four or five trails. They started to see him getting beat up. And then they also watched the evolution of our trail guys uh, as they're starting to learn more efficient and better ways to fix these trails. They're like, man, you know, leapfrog, the braking bumps, they're pretty nasty. Like, and then like next week, look, we rehab this whole section. It's a new trail almost. And people are like, oh, that was so awesome. So, you know, again, like when people see that work being put in over and over again, that's when they really start to appreciate that value. Yeah. And you talk about being built out. Are you fully built out now or is there plans for more still? So, so we have spent that money of that, of that 2.5 million. So that's like, if those first two trails was phase one or one a, then, then we're done with phase two or one B, whatever you want to call it. But I don't think that's, that's it. Like, like internally, we have plans to start adding more hand-built tech trails. You know, we, when we had, you know, that big chunk of money, we knew that we wanted to focus that on machine-built gravity jump flow trails because that's a big chunk of change. And to do that style of building is really expensive. And so, like even though the last couple of years, probably the loudest thing we've heard from our ridership is we love this flow trail, but where's the tech? And it, we're like, yeah, we understand, but we're going to keep building flow. And they're like, no, but we want the tech. And we're like, 
we're going to keep building the machine built because we have it now. And now, as time goes on, we're going to start scratching in more of those old school, rough, gnarly tech trails. And so I think that's that's really the next few years where where we'll go is, you know, adding, you know, one, maybe two of those type trails each year, um, you know, both to keep the, the park interesting, but just also as as the sport evolves, we need to evolve with it, too. And then we also we also have a lot of untapped potential with cross country. And I think, you know, we, we don't have a whole lot of room left on the mountain to build too many more big Burmy flow trails. Otherwise, we won't have any trees left between the ski runs. <laughs> but what we do have is still a lot of terrain that lends itself for cross country. So I kind of mentioned earlier that uh, back of a napkin budget I put together and I had I'd hoped for, you know, 25 miles of cross country. Well, we ended up with 10. And because, again, we prioritized uh, the lift serve bike park. And those are 10 really good miles, but there's terrain for so much more. And so we're just in the infancy of it, but we're really starting to try and get uh, the city of Biwabic involved and start to create a cross country trail system that would tie the city of Biwabic to the resort. And so I think, you know, in the next five years, we'll continue to work on tech trails on the mountain, but in the next 10, you know, really looking to, you know, tie that cross country network together. And I, I think that's really, you know, the opportunity that the Giants Ridge and then now Biwabic has to look forward to. So there's still things in the works. Unfortunately, we did get a little bit spoiled with like these crazy amazing new trails built by amazing builders popping up like every month like that's over for the time being but uh but there it's we're certainly not done you you said early on that you're more of a cross-country rider as you guys have built more gravity stuff have you pun intended gravitated towards more gravity riding yourself as an individual um yes and no uh i i've definitely gotten better at it i've definitely done more of it you know both out of necessity and desire but i I still am a cross-country rider at heart i'm also a ski racer not a park rat so like i'm more comfortable with my tires on the ground than in the air like that's just that's just naturally how i am so i've definitely gotten a lot better at my gravity riding but I don't think I will ever, ever be like a true, like downhill junkie. Like that's just, that's not, that's not my personality. Uh, I give all the props in the world to those guys who can just send it and have zero fear. I'm just, I'm just for lack of a better term, too much of a scaredy cat. <laughs> I, I can relate. Cause I, uh, also, you know, was a ski racer and spent a lot of years in cross country and since I think this is more to do with the evolution of bikes, but since mm-hmm. 2019, I took like a huge amount of time and effort into being a single speeder. And then, okay. and then bikes got better and the new truck top fuel came out and all of a sudden I have a dropper post and suspension. And, and then that went, that parlayed itself all the way into a truck slash. So I'm gone, <laughs> but I've learned and I'm, I'm trying to crack the nut of enduro now. 
it doesn't yeah. always pay to be in the air. As you know from skiing, when you're not on the ground, you're probably going slower. And so you can right. still mix the whole gravity experience and with, with keeping your wheels on the ground for the yep. most part. Yep. Well, and, you know, and that's an interesting point to bring up because I think, like, I think that actually that mentality that I have and, and quite honestly, you know, on staff here, we don't have any like amazing downhill riders. We're starting to develop some just because they're here riding. But, you know, one of the things you'll see on all of our trails is, is ride arounds. Like we have a gap jump, but it's not mandatory. We have a road gap, but it's not mandatory. Like, and, and, and I think that mindset lends itself well to our demographic because it makes our trails more approachable. It makes them so that people can progress on them and you, and it allows it so that you can ride the same trail multiple times and take different lines and grow as a rider with the trails because, you know, there's a certain part of trail building. That's always a little bit selfish. Like as I'm going out and working with, you know, whether it's Niels or Elias or, or Matt or, or any of the guys from rock solid or Pathfinder, anyone like, I don't want them to build the trail. I can't ride or at least couldn't ride with some practice. So like, but that's also where a lot of the ridership, especially in our area is, is there, you know, beginner intermediate and looking to grow. So, you know, I, I just think that's, you know, a unique aspect because if we had just turned Niels loose, he would have been like, yeah, nope, we're just going to send it, you know, big, big drops, big rocks, big jumps, forget the ride arounds. So anyways, that's, that's kind of something that, that might shine through a little bit, you know, knowing that I'm not like this world-class uh, downhill rider. Well, it's, it's important. You know, the last trail that Neil's built for us, it has just exactly that. And I've kind of, I pretty much told people it's two trails in one. Like I could take a, a solid blue rider. Um, only be, I only say solid blue because the berms are pretty big and you do have to have, mm -hmm. you know, so you, you know, so you, you can't be super green, but every single, you, you know, there's jumps the whole way down. There's, there's a rather large drop with a ride around, you know, and for me personally, I was, when I was still riding that single speed, I didn't hit a single jump, you know, and I didn't hit a single drop and now mm -hmm. I hit all of them. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if that progression wasn't there. And I know a lot of other people that have seen that same progression within their own abilities and to have that. So you could take two people down the same trail that have two totally different skill sets and get them, get an amazing experience. It's such an important thing. Yep. And, and it, in a lot of ways, it almost doubles your riding miles, your, your riding miles too, because, because like you say, two different people can have two different experiences on the same trail. Yeah, for sure. Let's go into ride the range. You know, you've already talked about the partnership that you had with Redhead and Tioga over in, in um, Grand Rapids and whatnot. Like, let's talk about that whole campaign because, you know, your area is an integral part of that campaign. Yeah. It, so I, I really think the ride the range was like the next evolution of building those trails. Like we all knew each other. We were all on a good foothold good relationship and we're like okay we built all this stuff now we need people to know about it and you know about the time that the idea for ride the range started to come around oz trails really started to you know develop a name for itself and again like you know 
we're not the pioneers here. We're, we're just learning from other people. We're like, look at what they're doing in Arkansas. They've got this thing called OZ trails. We should do the same thing here. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if they're listening and they're offended, but we, we, we copied you. And, and so, but it, we really started to look, we're like, Northern Minnesota is now this really unique place where within an hour drive or less of each location, you can make a week-long trip out of this. And so, you know, we, we got Cuyuna involved and Cuyuna is, and, and that's kind of where Ride the Range came from. They're on the Cuyuna Iron Range. And then the other three areas, Tioga, Redhead, and Giants Ridge are on the Masabi Iron Range. And so we're like, ride the range. It's, it's kind of a natural progression. All of the trail systems have a, a tie to mining. Giants Ridge isn't on former mine land, um, but we're adjacent to some. And uh, it was just kind of a, a natural, natural evolution. And so it, it's really a marketing campaign. That's what Ride the Range is. But it's a marketing campaign built around world-class trails that you can make instead of a day-long trip, a week-long trip out of. And it's, uh, it's, been, it's worked really well for us. And it, I think it will continue to, to do well. And it, it really highlights just this really unique thing. You can, 10 years ago, nobody ever thought that Northern Minnesota would be the place you'd want to come for a week-long mountain bike vacation. And for a lot of people in the country, it probably still is a place that nobody thinks of for a week-long mountain bike vacation. But uh, it really can be now, which is pretty cool. Well, and we haven't even talked about the other places that you can ride, like Duluth, Split Rock. Yeah. You know, yeah, and Lutz and, 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 and Tofty Connector. Yeah, and so so you you zoom out only a tiny bit more from those four places of ride the range, and you just again doubled the amount of trail that's available to you or more. It's it's pretty remarkable what has developed, you know, really in the last 10, 15 years. You know, Duluth was kind of the first in northern Minnesota and Cogs, and then Cuyuna shortly thereafter. And then it's just almost kind of spread like wildfire since. Yeah. I'm fairly certain uh, Northwest Arkansas wouldn't be mad for you copying them because every time I go to Bentonville, <laughs> I only pe- meet people from Minnesota. Right. You know, so like, like last, I was there two weeks ago for the Professional Trail Builders Association Conference and the first people I ran into, and I only talked to them because of the jerseys they had on, they're from Rochester. You know, and they're like, yep. and I'm like, oh, I'm from lacrosse. It's like, oh yeah, we, we love going riding lacrosse, you know? And, and so like everybody, because of our, our climate, although their climate that week wasn't much better, it did snow that week, um, down there, <laughs> you know, they, they come to Arkansas on the shoulder seasons and then they can come hang out in the upper Midwest when everything is super hot down South. And yeah. And well, and I think it's been a unique synergy with our trail builders too, how so many of our trail builders have gone down to Bentonville to build in the off season. And of course, like so much of the mountain bike community is word of mouth. And you're like, well, these guys built a sweet trail at whatever place, you know, fill in the blank and they're building down in Arkansas. Sweet. And I can go somewhere in April during mud season. That's like, I can get there in a day in my car. 
it's amazing. You know, I, I went for the first time last spring and barely scratched the surface and never rode the same trail or even thought about riding the same trail. I mean, that, that place is just unreal, but. Well, that perfectly uh, leads us into the, the next and getting close to the end, but the next part of the podcast, which is, you know, you've talked about traveling to a couple different places. Now you've talked about Angel Fire and you've talked about Northwest Arkansas. What in your mind, what are some, what is a good community for you to, to, to ride at, to travel to outside of obviously where you live and what makes it a good place for you? Well, I mean, I think what makes it a good place to travel to is kind of the same thing as it does for every mountain biker. Good, good trails, um, camping or, you know, Airbnbs, beer is, uh, is mandatory, good beer, you know, so I, I don't think I'm very unique in that. But when I think about, you know, different communities to go to or what I want for our community, like there, there's certainly, you know, some that stick out, you know, Duluth, again, like I said, they're kind of the, they're kind of the pioneers and like what the Traverse has done for that city is just incredible, you know, both for the residents and, you know, it, it was built for the residents and a spinoff of it was tourism. And then there's also, like I mentioned, Cuyuna, which was kind of the first thing that we had seen in northern Minnesota that was really drying, directly trying to target primarily tourism and what the, the towns of Crosby and Ironton have grown into now because of mountain biking is, is really, I think, what kind of helped inspire a lot of us to do what we did with, with Giants Ridge and, and Redhead and Tioga. But yeah, then when I went to Bentonville last year, it was like a whole nother scale. And I, like, I came home and I'm like, we have to do all these things. We need ridiculous sculptures that you can ride over and like, you know, all these metal features. We have to do all of it because that, you know, and of course, you know, we don't quite have the budget to work with that, that they do. But, but yeah, I mean, those, those places are what pave the way for other places. And, you know, it's probably a little too soon to say it for ourselves, but hopefully someday people will come to Chisholm and ride Redhead, or they'll come to Biwabic and ride Giants Ridge and go home and say, I want this in my community. You know, so that anyways, that's that, those are the places that have kind of helped inspire me and uh, that I just give a lot of credit to. Yeah, it's, it is pretty awesome. And that's, I'm sure you've seen it when you come home and you're telling people about this and they're probably looking at you like you're on crack, buddy. I don't even know where, how to comprehend that. Well, right. Yeah. And like, you, you know, you took your, your, your janky iPhone photo of, you know, this, this metal ride over feature and you're like, you, you'll never believe it. It's all expanded metal, but it's a hip jump and it's right in the middle of the town park. Like, like it's, it's unreal. And you like show them the picture and I'm like, oh yeah, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, do you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to close with? Well, you know, I, I think I think the only thing that like I was thinking about, you know, talking about today that, you know, has been really unique is like when we've done so much of this work, you really have to be careful of what you want and you have to keep that in mind. And and that was kind of something that we learned the hard way. Because we knew, like going back to the Mark Hayes thing, like we need this super, super light green trail. It has to be super light green. 
And so we set out to build that with the very first trail we built. And that trail ended up being Leapfrog, which we now call Blue. And uh, Matt was the, the builder on that. And like, I worked with him all the way through and we're like, yeah, it's got to be green, got to be green. He's like, yep, yep, it's green, it's green. And we get done and we're like, thanks, Matt, it's blue. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. And uh, we tried again. And, and then the next time it was with Niels and uh, like, okay, Niels, we need this, we need this green, green trail. And he's like, yep, yep, green, 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 got it. And all the way done. And we get done with it and we're like, okay, we're going to call it green, but it's kind of blue green. And so we, we tried again and, and we got it on the third time. And, and when we got it, like we knew it and, and our guests knew it. And, and so I guess like just the, the thing that I took away from is like, know what you want and, and know what you need and, and stick with it. Like whatever that is, because every trail system is unique and needs to be unique. Like it, if, if I went to Cuyuna and rode and we had recreated Cuyuna Giants Ridge, there wouldn't have been a point. It, it, it would have been boring. So like as you're building out your trails, as you're thinking about your community, like know what you want and keep shooting for it till you get it because it, it is worth it when you finally get there. But and that's also part of the beauty of, of mountain biking is is the variety. Yeah, for sure. Well, Benji, thank you very much for your time today and the willingness to come on the Trail Effect podcast and share what you've learned at Giants Ridge. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Appreciate the opportunity and just want to give uh, one final shout out and thanks to, uh, to everyone who's been a part of this because it, it certainly hasn't just been me. And I know I caught myself using eyes and, and me in there, but everything through this process has been a we and uh we're just we're super appreciative to to be a part of it and be sitting here today yeah well thank you very much thank you for listening links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes our next episode will feature james flatten the original flow farmer based out of western colorado james has a unique perspective on trails and trail building as he should since he's been involved with some of the most prolific trail projects in the u.s if you like what you've heard Please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Fact Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Fact Podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Fact, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.